Hello and welcome back to the Sunny Mary Meadow podcast. Today we are going to do a bloom and grow episode. It's been a little while since we have recorded one of these. I have been really busy with Mother's Day flowers and planting the garden and all of those crazy tasks when you're the farmer and the florist and the mom and everything. So I have my friend Gina here today and we'll get to introductions in a second, but just say hello and thank you so much for being here. Hi everyone. Thank you Liz again for giving me this opportunity. When I was trying to think of bloom and grow episodes, it started out as how to talk to people that are grieving and how to, you know, just insights of grief. And, you know, originally I really thought that that would be a lot more of sharing my story. And I I plan to do that. I, I do plan on just kind of some insights on what the day to day initially, like planning the funeral, those type of things that just, I think, like I said, when you understand and you know what was going on, that promotes empathy. And so maybe you can understand what someone else is going through. But I started realizing that the messages that I was getting and that I continue to get, whether it's Instagram message, Facebook, emails from listeners, it's it's not a lot of people that have lost a spouse. It's sometimes people that have lost a sister, a mom, something like that, but it's not been the death necessarily, but there's a lot of ways to grieve. And those secondary losses that I have experienced when I thought I'd never have kids again, when I thought I'd never, you know, just my life was totally over and those secondary losses. And those were the things that people would relate to me. They'd say, I've never lost a husband or I've never experience lost the way you have. However, I went through cancer or, you know, my husband divorced me or, you know, my kid moved away and doesn't talk to me anymore or whatever it might be. And so there are a lot of things that I realize that people bloom and grow through and you don't really know what people have gone through. And my friend Gina here, we used to work at the St. Cloud Hospital together and we used to work in the float pool and that's how we first knew each other. But she had a baby born in the NICU. And I'm going to let you just tell us about that. All right. So my name is Gina Lomheim and I am a registered nurse at the St. Cloud Surgical Center now. My husband, Chris, and I, we will be married eight years in October and we have three children. Harrison will be six, Madeline just turned four, and Henry, our little miracle baby, is seven months. Our story started on October 5th, 2022. I was 25 weeks pregnant and I was at work having some right abdominal pain. And of course, nurses are the worst patients. So I worked my entire shift. I was having so much pain that my coworkers were like, you need to call your doctor. So finally, at the end of my shift, I called her and I didn't get a call back right away um, from the triage nurse. So I actually messaged on my chart and they called me back very quickly and they got me in for an appointment. I went there, they checked me out. I was still having a lot of pain and then they drew labs and They said, if anything's abnormal, we'll call you. And then we do want you to go to OB triage if anything's abnormal. So I was actually at Coburn's in St. Joe when my phone rang and it was the center care number. And basically um, it was my doctor on the other end. And Liz being a nurse practitioner knows that if you are calling a patient, it's usually not good. Usually the nurse calls, but in this case, it was my doctor. So she said my labs were abnormal and I needed to go to the hospital But of course, I said, I have to go get my kids and I got to go get my husband. So give me like an hour and a half and I'll be there. So we went to the hospital. The kids got settled with my parents and 
that was the last day that our life was normal. Things changed on October 5th, and it's something that we can't take back, but we have grown as a family in our faith and just our community. So on October 5th, my husband and I went to the OB triage, and they did an ultrasound and found I had an acute appendicitis. The OB doctor, he consulted with general surgery, and they planned to do a laparoscopic um, appendectomy, and it was going to be an overnight stay, but I'd be able to go home the next day. Wheeled down to surgery, my husband and I said, see you later. And after that was when our life did forever change. My surgery did not go as planned. Early on in the case, there was a major complication. The camera that was inserted actually punctured my uterus. And what started as a very simple case turned into an emergency. The really cool thing about this, I guess, is the OB doctor was bored. I asked if he could scrub in on my case before I went down. And I was like, are you sure you don't have anything else to do? And he said, I, have, I haven't seen one in a while, so I'm going to scrub in. So he became my angel in disguise because without life could have been a lot different in that OR. He was able to suture my uterus. I did lose some amniotic fluid. While the general surgeon removed my appendix, they converted to an open procedure. So I have like a 10-inch incision on my abdomen um, instead of the laparoscopic ports sites. And then they closed up and they sutured me up. I went to the recovery area and they went to talk to my husband. Um, my husband, Chris, says he'll never forget the look on their faces when they came in. He stood up to shake their hands and say, thank you so much. And they had sorrow on their faces and they said, you need to sit down. We have a lot to talk about. And instead of planning to take his wife home the next day, he had to plan on figuring out life for his two kids at home, his wife in the hospital, and going back to work to create some income. I was planning to be in the hospital either until my water broke or 34 weeks. So after the surgery, I was in extreme pain. They actually ended up putting me on a dilated PCA pump. With being a nurse, I was like, I don't want this. And they said, you have to have it. Your baby is going to be in severe distress if you don't keep your pain under control. This had never happened before, and they weren't exactly sure how they were going to treat me but I felt confident that they were going to do the best thing for me and I trusted them. I became a patient on family birthing that evening and um, with the help of staff and getting us all settled, we were starting to try and figure out what we were going to do with our life at that point. My parents and Chris's parents decided that they would move the kids into their homes, just knowing that I wouldn't be able to go home. Chris needed to work and then in the evening come and spend time with me. I ended up being a patient for eight days. In those eight days, they did treat me for my preterm labor, so I got the antibiotics, the magnesium sulfate, which I've now had four times, which is an icky medication if you've ever had it that helps prevent preterm labor. And then I also got the steroids to help develop the baby's lungs, which was the most important thing. At the time, we didn't know we were having a boy. And typically, boys don't do as well in the NICU. I'm so happy that we got the beta-methazone um, to help boost his lungs um, at the time. And then we also consulted with perinatology, which is a specialty at the St. Cloud Hospital. They specialize in high-risk pregnancy, and they were doing frequent ultrasounds. What they found is the puncture actually separated the membrane around the baby. It is a sticky membrane, and it can actually attach to the baby. So now it just became even more high-risk, knowing that if that got stuck to the umbilical cord, we would more than likely 
likely lose our baby. This brought back so many emotions. 2020 was really rough for Chris and I. I had had a kidney infection and I was 11 weeks pregnant and ended up losing the baby. Had to have a DNC and just, it brought back all those emotions of having surgery and then the what ifs we lose this baby as well. Shortly after my first loss in 2020, I ended up getting pregnant again and had a blighted ovum, which essentially a sac forms, but no baby forms. And once again, I had to have surgery. And so again, all those emotions came back and instead of playing the why me, poor me, um, I decided to dive into my faith. I prayed vigorously to Mary. I truly believe that she was the one that gave me this baby and I knew that she would help protect this loving this and loving this little baby of mine. So on October 13th, eight days later, I was visiting with my coworker Ashley my best friend Sarah and then my other friend had stopped by and I remember looking at one of the girls saying I think my water's gonna break and it had never happened to me with my other children I'd always been induced and sure enough my water broke and at that point every emotion I had came pouring out um, I was so scared my husband was two hours away Luckily, my sister's an oncology nurse at the hospital and was working that day so she could come and be with me. And if I would have to go back and have this baby, then she was going to go if Chris couldn't make it. The really interesting thing about all of this is two things. My friend Ashley was a preemie herself. She was born at 27 weeks. She's 35 years old, so it's beautiful what medicine can do even 35 years ago. So she gave me lots of hope that day. She prayed with me. She cried with me. She even helped the nurses along with my other friend um, kind of get my room situated for when Chris got there. The other really cool thing was my nurse that day was Christy. She's actually a resident of St. Joe and she is connected to my best friend Lindsay who passed away in 2012. So having Christy there brought me a sense of peace knowing that she was going to do everything in her power to keep me safe and to advocate for me. And then the OB doctor that scrubbed in on my surgery just happened to be working that day and came in right after Chris got there. So he did make it, which was, he said he drove really fast from Waconia, but didn't get pulled over. And this doctor came in early afternoon and just sat down and again, just had like this look like he wanted to cry and sat down and goes, Gina, I've done everything I can, but it's time. Um, we need to get this baby out. Your body is not tolerating this and the baby baby's heart rate is way too high. Um, and of course I'm like, well, I know there's a three o'clock C-section. So can we just wait? Like that mom has been fasting all day. Can you just go do that first? And then I'll be here and said, no, this is emergent. We just, we want Chris to be there. We want you to be awake for it. So it's time to go. And of course I'm just begging and pleading God for more time. I was 26 weeks and six days pregnant, which I knew again, I didn't know I was having a boy, but I just knew that is so small. Like this baby is so small. Are they going to be okay? Are they going to make it? So I went back for my C-section and they prepped me and it was very painful because my appendix incision was just starting to heal and they put the surgical prep on and I had an epidural and they did everything that they needed to do. The most beautiful part of my delivery is before we started the procedure, I had one request from the staff and I just said, can we pray? So everybody stood still in the OR um, that was there. We all held hands and we all prayed the Our Father and we prayed the Hail Mary. And my nurse at the time, Jamie, I worked uh, with her in the float pool a little bit too. And she just kept praying with me over and over and over. I think we said like 15 Hail Marys and she just held onto my hand and said, it's going to be okay, Gina. She's going to watch over you. And those are things that I will never forget. <laughs> the NICU nurse that was present during our stay. Her name is Jenny. She became very important to our family um, throughout Henry's NICU stay, which is our little boy. 
So Jenny, the NICU nurse, happened to be present at the birth of our baby, and she quickly became somebody that could calm our baby down in the NICU at any time. Um, she would often, I'd often find her singing. She prayed for him all the time, and she just became this person that was very special to our family. So fast forward, I had my C-section. I went to the recovery room. Actually, no, we'll go back. Sorry. <laughs> So my C-section went as planned. As soon as the baby came out, my husband, Chris, he got to announce the gender and he proudly said, it's a boy. He thought I was having a boy. I thought I was having a girl. The doctor thought I was having a girl and the perinatologist knew the whole time. So they couldn't guess, but he announced the gender. And then I heard two little squeak cries, which just brought tears to my eyes because that's what you're waiting for when you have a baby. Like, are they crying? And I had told myself, our baby probably won't cry, but... I had prepared everybody but myself. Like I told my husband, I said, this is a small baby, like maybe two pounds. NICU babies, they have this certain look. The, um, it might not look like a baby, but our baby came out and his name is Henry Roman and he looked like a baby. He was two and a half pounds, um, 14 inches long and had his two little cries. And then quickly the NICU team took over. Um, they did end up putting a breathing tube down right away so that they could give a special medication to help his lungs right away. And then my husband, Chris, went with Henry to the NICU and they finished um, closing my incision. And then I went to the recovery room. That day is a blur for me. I wish I could remember more. I've asked the nurses quite a, like they reminded me of the day and they said it'll be a day that you'll always remember but you won't remember because of the medications you were on. I find peace knowing that the people that started the journey with me ended the journey with me on family birthing. Fast forward, I was on family birthing a few more days and finally they felt like I was ready to go home. I think I was there like five days actually after my C-section because of my appendix incision and they wanted to make sure my pain was well managed and then we discharged home. That first night home was the hardest thing I've ever had to experience. One, leaving a hospital for the first time without your baby. And then two, going home to an empty house because our children uh, stayed at my parents that night. And I remember my husband and I, we just cried. I think we cried ourselves to sleep. We didn't know how we were going to get through this or what we were going to get through this. And I prayed so hard. I started a 54-day novena. I prayed to Mary that she would keep looking after our little miracle and that she would give me the strength because I needed to be strong for my husband, for my kids, and for my family. So the next day we drove. We live in Farming, Minnesota, which is a small town between Albany and Richmond. And so we drove to the St. Cloud NICU and we spent the day there. That day happened to be a really hard day for Henry. So of course, the first day we were there, he had to get reintubated. It was kind of a traumatic day for us. But again, we spent most of the day there, went home, cried ourselves to sleep. And it's like, how are we going to get through this? But we will get through this. We're going to get through it together because this is either going to make or break us and we're not going to let it break us. So we can continued to drive to the hospital. Um, Henry stayed there for 87 days and it was an experience that you can't understand until you go through it yourself. Um, and even now that I'm out of the NICU, I can't even relate to the moms that are going through it right now because I've kind of put some of that behind me. I've kind of buried some of those memories and it is truly a blur because you're just trying to survive. You can't plan anything except for the next day. Uh, we had many days where we didn't know if we were taking a baby home or we would be calling a funeral home. I started a caring bridge, which started as um, something small and it ended up being something I did every day. So I have a caring bridge for all 87 days and that was kind of where these ideas came from I guess and it was my therapy it's how I debriefed after a day and then I had followers and people would text me and be like are you gonna post tonight I can't go to bed until I read your post um, which 
was just something I didn't think that people would take time out of their day and wait for my post. One of the NICU doctors sat us down early on in our NICU journey and just explained everything, like the things that can go right, things that can go wrong. And then at the end, um, he, I was a religious person. I had a picture of Mary and Jesus in the room. And he said, when you pray, pray for something specific with intention. And he would give me a list of intentions to pray for every week. And then I would ask like, okay, he's met these goals. Now what can I pray for? And so I did that the whole NICU journey. And it was so comforting knowing that he was probably praying for Henry. I had a whole tribe of people praying for Henry. And truly, I think a lot of his healing was from our faith and from praying. I'm so glad that I asked you to come here and share your story. I just think that... What I try to explain to people, and this is going to be, you know, when you try to generalize it or whatever, um, for example, on like the anniversary of Josh's death, why that month is so hard for me. It's like, I am not thinking about, oh, I miss him. Oh, I wish he was here. Like, I didn't forget he died. Like I literally every second of every day, I remember that he died, but it's that like reliving that trauma and that day. And it's like okay, we haven't even gotten to like the fact that you were in the NICU, what it was like, like financially, what did you eat? Where did you sleep? Where did you nap? How did you, you know, just so many questions of logistics that every piece of it kind of sucks, but it's like, no, that's, that's just the leading up to it. You know, and I, I think about it, you know, when I, I've become good friends with someone who lost her husband to cancer and the months leading up to it, I'm like, oh, I never experienced that. Like all of a sudden Josh was just gone. And, and so I think like, when people say, oh, well, they had a baby in the NICU and, oh, you know, but he made it and he's fine now. It's like, okay, but that was pretty traumatic and that was, you know, quite entirely disrupting. And I think what most people can relate to when it comes to grief is the fact that this happened to you without your consent. This was not even what you remotely, you know, could have expected out of life and you know, I mean, so those 87 days, like when did Chris go back to work or when did you, I mean, you got to, your maternity leave technically didn't start until after he came home, right? So kind of. Um, so Chris went back to work a week after because we had to make money. Just like everything, life goes on. The NICU was a huge part of us, but we had to keep, he had to keep working. He works for Melrose Electric and they are so supportive. Um, even the day that my water broke, they just said, just leave everything and just get there. Like it's fine. So that was, that's a huge help to have an employer that, um, especially in the trades to have somebody support you and your family. And then I learned so much about short-term disability. So when my appendix surgery happened, my short-term disability started, and then I had the baby or I had Henry, excuse me. And then my maternity leave started. You don't get to choose when your maternity leave starts. However, I work at a place that they did something so generous. It was my birthday and they tricked me and they told me they had baby gifts for me at work. And I went to work and they were like, hey, come to the team lead office. And so I stepped foot in our team lead office and there's like 10 people standing in front of me. And they were all like wanting to tell me something. And I walked in and I'm like, am I fired? (laughs) Like, why is everyone looking at me? Here in November, you know, right before the holidays, all of my coworkers, they donated money to our family and Surgical Care Affiliates, which is our parent company, they matched it and they handed me this envelope stuffed full of cash. And I was sobbing because that generous gift allowed me to not only not have to worry about things for a while, 
It also allowed me to take most of my maternity leave unpaid. I got paid eight weeks. And then Chris and I, we had plans. Like we wanted to pay off my student loans. We had all these debts to pay off. And it's not that the NICU took that away from us, but I wasn't working for six months as a registered nurse, which is a huge loss. And at the time it's just money and you know, you can always make more of it, but you still have bills. You still need to buy food and you still have to do all these things. So Liz actually did a podcast a few weeks ago and she talked about when Josh passed away and like how people would come to her and say, what can I do for you? Well, when you're going through something, you can't say, oh, I need this, this, and this. It's so hard to do that. We're proud people. You really can't think past what you're doing right now. So one of my coworkers, she set up a meal train. She didn't necessarily ask my permission. She more so said, what would you prefer people to drop meals off at your house, your mom's house, or do like restaurants or what, you know, that was what she gave me for an option. And then in the podcast I'm referring to, Liz talked about a cleaning company, how somebody had hired that came into our home. My mom did that for us. I had a coworker offer that and I said, oh, it's taken care of. But those were things that people just, they did for us. Like they didn't necessarily ask, but they did it so we could survive. And those were just a few of the small things that we were able to do. When something tragic happens, you usually get a ton of support right away. And then that support starts to, I don't want to say it dwindles, but people, they kind of move on. And it's not that they forgot about you, but life goes on for them. And we kept getting things in the mail up until Christmas, gift cards, gas cards. I filled up my tank of gas. I drive a Suburban, so it's not like a gas-friendly vehicle. I put my own money in my Suburban in March of 2023. That is how generous people were with gas cards. That truthfully was a huge financial burden that we didn't have to worry about because I drove to the NICU every day. And then of course I had two children at home, a baby in the NICU. And so the NICU nurses, something, some advice that they gave us, they gave us lots of advice as parents. Um, some of them had had NICU babies of their own. Many had not, but they gave us some great advice. And a lot of that was, we have your baby. He's being taken care of here you need to go be a mom at home because your other children, they may or may not remember this, but they are going to miss you. And Henry is safe here. We're doing everything we can for him. He was really fragile when he was born. I actually waited eight days to hold him for the first time. He had coded the day before and it was a really rough day. Um, we watched the NICU team bag our child. Um, they didn't have to do chest compressions, but that day was a really hard day. So the next day, the um, nurse practitioner, she said, you have to hold your baby. And he still had his umbilical cords in or lines in. And usually you don't get to hold them for that. But there was like, I don't know, 10 people in my room that helped hold him for the first time. And actually one of those nurses was Josh's sister, Liz's late husband, Josh. His sister, Jan, is a NICU nurse. I actually didn't find out that she was Josh's sister until it got close to Josh's death anniversary and she was working that day and I had known it was coming up and I gave her a big hug and I just said, I'm thinking of you so much. And she's like, you're thinking of me. I'm thinking of you. You're in here every day. And I'm like, yeah, but Jan, there's these days that are just hard. And of course, um, Liz knows Jan super well, but Jan is the most selfless person ever. Anytime she's around you, she just brings this calm feeling. And that's how I felt in the NICU. So when Jan was charged, I always knew we were going to be in good hands. She always made 
sure to stop by. She, she has this laugh that you'll never forget. She's just the happiest person. Once I figured out like she was Josh's sister, she would tell me so many stories about them growing up. And it was just like beautiful. Like how does all this happen? How does life have all these avenues that brings you back to people? I worked with Liz. I've been following Liz's story since her and Josh moved out here. Like we were working in the float pool in the break room and she's talking about this farm and all the beautiful things they're going to do in life. And now I'm sitting at her kitchen table today. Yeah. Well, I remember when I sent you a message and I was like, I don't think she knows. I mean, they have different last names. Like once I say it and you see their eyes, you're like, oh yeah, that's, that. Yes. you know. But I remember telling you, because she's been there for almost, I mean, that was her job right out of college. And so, I mean, it's... I don't want to age her, but <laughs> I think she's been there like 18 years because she got there right out of college and she just turned 40. Like I told Gina, I'm like, central Minnesota is so lucky to have Jan because she's been there so long. She's probably trained in every single nurse. And I tell her this, like every Nikki week, I text her that. And I just, I'm like, you know what? Like we are so lucky in central Minnesota to have you as a nurse because it has a high turnover rate. That unit does. People move on. It's nights, weekends, holidays, like any of those units do. And it's a hard place to work because, you know, the float pool nurses aren't really trained to go there as much. There's just not a lot of options if they're working short. They just kind of pick up and that's what ends up happening. But yeah, I remember yeah when I told you that, you know, that's Jan and you were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. And it's it's so true. Like just knowing that, okay, you're in good hands, having that, that comfort, that safe zone, I think is so important too. And so I think that, you know, what you said, the fact that, okay, this is Liz and I know her and you know, this small world. And it's not like, I mean, we got along like, okay. When you work night shifts together at the hospital or any day shifts, whatever, when you work shifts together, like there's a meme that says like, Nursing friendships are weird. I'll hold the cheeks while you wipe weird. I mean, literally, like, <laughs> that's the bonding at two in the morning. Like your rounds are done and you just talk. And but like Gina and I have never hung out outside of work, but like we're we're very close. We've had some deep conversations years ago, and you know all of my float pool nurses and my surgical nurses too. Like we just you know that friendship is so deep. Just knowing, you know, like I said, what what someone has gone through or hasn't gone through, and yeah. Have you had a lot of NICU moms like reach out or how have you made new friendships or new appreciation since then? Yes. So while we were in the NICU, I actually became friends with the mom next door. She had twin boys um, that had twin to twin syndrome and she was a nurse up in Alexandria. So I got to um, know her really well. When we were in the NICU, it was only, there was really strict COVID restrictions. So only Chris and I could be Henry's visitors. Well, he was back to work. So just the weekends he was there. So you get lonely fast, like real fast, especially when your baby starts to do well and it's just you in the room. Henry did not do well until about 10 weeks old. So we had always had a nurse in the room. So when it got quiet and like they didn't have to be in the room, I'm like, oh my gosh, like it's not that you're bored, but like it's so quiet in here. <laughs> like You can't talk a lot because then he gets kind of wild. So I got to know my friend Beth really well. And then just other NICU moms, you can't eat in the NICU. So you have to eat in a special room and you just get talking to you know other parents and they always ask like, oh, how was your baby doing? And 
how old is your baby or how old were they when they were born? And I remember there was a dad that said, he's like, oh, you know, how old was your baby when he was born? I said, oh, he was 27 weeks about. And he goes, oh my gosh. He's like, you've been through so much. Like, you know, I don't even want to tell you how old my little one is. I think they were like 33 weeks old. And I said, you know what though? We're the same. At the end of the day, we still leave our babies in the NICU. It doesn't matter how old they are, how young they are. Like at the end of the day, that's just how it goes. And he looked at me and he goes, thank you so much for like validating that. We don't need to be embarrassed that you know we have an old NICU baby because they could still be there a long time. So it, yeah, it's just the whole journey itself is crazy. Um, again, it's something you just, you can't explain. Yeah. And I think, you know, I will never forget. Um, so I got into therapy right away. Like actually Josh and I had done when I graduated grad school, we did, it's actually kind of, it's, it's a funny memory because we found out that his work paid for five marriage counseling sessions. And so we were like, oh, we should go do that. Like just because, you know, I'm finishing grad school. I had started grad school right when we started. We're just like trying to figure out roles of our family and like it's paid for and like, let's just go do it. I don't know. That might sound really weird. And she got there and she's like, so what's, what's the problem or what's, you know, we're like, well, I don't know. Like we're just like, we're just like, to chat. we just thought, you know, and like you're right next to house of pizza. We thought we'd go for a beer afterward. Like we got a babysitter. Like we got your last appointment of the day on a Friday. Like this is a date. And like her name was Pam anyway. And she was like, okay. And like, I mean, like all couples, you know, communication, da, 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 da. like, and we talked through some things, but like it was never fighting. It was never like, we need marriage counseling, you know? It's so weird because it was kind of like we went to like three sessions and we're like, okay, well, I think we're done with that. Like it was fun. Like I don't, right. I don't know. Hash maybe, it out there. Maybe we have different ideas of fun than most couples. But so I called her like two days after Josh died. No, the day I found out I was pregnant, the day after the funeral, I called her and she answered because she has an independent practice. So she answers her own phone and I'm like, yeah, do you remember me? And she's like, yeah, what's what's going on? And I'm like, well, Josh is dead and I'm pregnant. And she's like. Oh my God. And like, that's what she said. And she was just entirely like, she's like, sorry, that was unprofessional. But and we talked for like an hour on the phone and it, it, it wasn't a therapy. I'm like, you can bill me for this if you want. I don't know. And she's like, okay, let's, let's have you come in next week. And so I went in and saw her every single week after Josh passed away, which was huge. I will say that was instrumental to my mental health because I just needed to work through so many thoughts that I was having. And that was one thing as I was getting ready to go back to work because I got to take, well, got to, (laughs) I took off. Um, I found out I could have up to 12 weeks of short-term disability FMLA with a medical diagnosis of grief reaction, you know, working as a nurse practitioner, there's no way I could have gone back to work like those first few weeks, especially like get me out of the first trimester with this baby. Cause I had like crippling anxiety that I was going to lose it or, you know, just, there's no way. But I probably could have gone back maybe at 10 weeks, maybe, but it was filled out to 12 weeks and it was like, no. Well, then I found out, so that was all my FMLA and then I went back part-time and then I was covered under like the Parent Maternity Leave Act and so then I got to take 12 weeks with Davey because they were like, well, no, you're out of FMLA, you don't qualify. And I got that email, I was like, well, then I guess I quit. Right, (laughs) I I need maternity Yeah, and I was like, well, then I quit. And they're like what? And then they're like, no, you still get a leave. I'm like, oh, okay. I I guess I take that back, but I was going to quit anyway, circle back. So I remember when I was getting ready to come back to work and I was like, I just don't know how I'm going to listen to other people's problems. I just don't know how I'm going to come in. And this is going to be its whole podcast episode, but like my very first patient that I saw when I went back, he was like anxious and his dad had passed away and he just 
went off on me. He's like, you have no idea. You have no idea how much work it is when someone dies. And I'm the executor of the will. And all I do is meetings and paperwork and girl, you have no idea. That's what he said to me. And I was like, oh. like the very first patient I saw from when I came back. And I was like, really? I have no idea. And so I saw Pam the next day and I was like, oh, and cause I, and I wanted to say something, you know, and I just was like, okay, whatever. And, and she said to me, she's like, okay, Liz, in the game of who has it worse, do you want to win that for the rest of your life? She's like, no, you don't want to win that game because you will win. Like, well, my husband died. Well, my husband died and I was pregnant. Okay. Which obviously it's not worse. It's, it was a blessing, but it still was hard, you know? And so that's, that's exactly it. Like, remember that what people are going through, maybe it's the worst thing they've ever gone through. And I hope it is. And I hope that that's the worst thing that can ever happen to them. And so it's like you and the NICU, you know, I'm sure you saw a lot of people come and go. You saw a lot of people get to come be there for a week, be there for two, three weeks, a month. I'm sure you were like, man, I wish I was in the NICU for six weeks. That'd be awesome. Like for most people, that's their hell. And to you, like that would have been fantastic. How did you deal with that? Like, did you get jealous? Did you get... (laughs) So when you have a NICU baby, the goal is always to discharge before their due date. So my due date was January 13th. Henry was born October 13th. So I'm like a goal-driven person. Like if you tell me I'm going to be able to do something. So my goal was to get out of there by by January 13th. Originally, before we knew what the NICU was about, I was like, oh, he'll be home for Christmas. So my kids, that's what they told Santa. I want my baby brother home for Christmas. And they would tell everybody, yep, Henry's coming home for Christmas. And so when it got close to Christmas, I knew he wasn't coming home. So what we had planned is my mom kept her tree up um, until Henry came home and then we could celebrate Christmas as a family. That was really important. But yes, we saw lots of people come and go. I'd meet lots of moms in the respite room visiting with them. And it wasn't, I don't want to say I was jealous because I was still sad that they had to go through this NICU journey. Whether you have a baby at, you know, 27 weeks or you have a baby at 35, like you're still in the NICU and you're still trying to figure out life and navigate life. So I don't know. We just, I feel like all of us moms just like we supported each other. We lifted each other up. Like I was trying to pump and nurse because all of that milk was the best thing for my baby. Well, I have such a low supply, like a super low supply. And I remember one of the NICU doctors says, I don't need you to pump gallons. I just need some ounces from you. Well, I ended up pumping. I pumped every two to three hours. I'd get like one to two ounces. And I did that until Henry came home. So that was kind of like my way of giving back to Henry because I knew I wouldn't be able to keep up with him once he got home. But just like going back to the emotions of the NICU, I never wanted to be like, poor me, poor me. That's just not who I am. My husband, he wanted me to get angry. He wanted me to be mad at what happened, not only to our family, but what happened to me. And I just told him, I'm like, I don't have, we have so much going on that I don't have the energy to be mad and to be angry. Like, I need to focus on like the positives. We have two healthy children at home. I didn't have a hysterectomy. Nothing complicated happened with my uterus. Like, you know, this was our planned last pregnancy. I guess the hardest emotion for me was I was not upset, but I didn't get to enjoy my last pregnancy. Like I I just had a garage sale. I didn't even wear all my maternity clothes because I was only 25 weeks pregnant. So I didn't get, there's like a few pictures of me pregnant. Um, we went to a pumpkin patch the weekend before my appendicitis. I just don't have a lot of pictures, which I wish I would have taken more. We always have that regret of wishing, you know, that we would have taken more pictures or done more things. Looking back at that and like the kids, they always say too, like, oh, mommy, remember when Henry was in your tummy? Like they remember that. And that's, I guess, all I really care about. Yeah. And I think like 
this goes for so many things that my whole life I've always tried to think about this. Like them staying longer doesn't mean you get to go home earlier. Like, so why not wish the best for them? And I'm sure you did. And, you know, like I said, and you know, yes, it's hard and it's human emotion, but like, of course you're not. Well, I wish that, you know, like that, that's not going to help you go home any earlier. And why would you ever wish, you know? And so I think, yeah, like just focusing on the wins of everybody would be super helpful and just those little tiny little victories that everybody gets to experience together. And I've always heard like the NICU is such a sense of community and even working in nursing. I never worked in NICU, but you know, we'd have those ICU patients that got to go home after like a month Mm -hmm. or when I worked on inpatient rehab as an intern and it's like, my gosh, you had a stroke two months ago and they get to go home and they're walking home. And you know, just those little victories that you get so invested in other humans and just, you know, human emotion that way. And like, you know, the fact is, yes, I'm a nurse practitioner. And so I'm, I'm going to say this and I'm, I'm glad that you chose to, you know, look at it that way is it's still called practicing medicine. Like it, it, it happens and it, you know, and I, I'm sure that that's what you're talking about when you said, you know, Chris wanted to get mad or wanted to get, you know, and it's like, yep, but it happens to one person out of every million mm-hmm. and it was me and that sucks, but it's not like, it wasn't malicious. You, you think they did it on purpose? Yeah. Like, yeah. nope, nope. You think that they're not haunted by it? You know, and, and I don't, I mean, I, I don't want to say the surgeon's name. I don't want to, like, I, I don't want to do that. I don't even know who it is. And that's good. Like, we shouldn't, you know, and it's just, but it happens. It's human. Yes, it definitely did make an impact on that surgeon and the physician assistant. Um, I think probably till the, to this day, it still is something that they wish never happened to them. The surgeon made lots of visits while I was on the family birthing unit. And I know the PA also struggled a lot with just what happened. So it happens. It happened to me, but it happened to me for a reason. I don't want to say that it happened because Henry had to go through all of the trauma that he had to go through, but it made me a better person. It made me not take life for granted. It made me start a nonprofit. It made me be able to spend time with my kids and just realize like life is fragile. It's totally fragile. One day you can be a family of four. The next day you can be in the hospital and then eight days later you can have a NICU baby. But by taking the time and like going down the path of the why me, poor me, I didn't really have time for that. And also the support we had from everybody. Like I felt like everybody was lifting us up so much that I didn't have time. I mean, I was sad. Don't get me wrong. It was, there were some dark days, but at the end of the day, we had community support. We had friends support, family support, strangers support. And I know Liz can attest to that too. You'd have people stop by or you'd get cards in the mail. You're like, I have no idea who they are, but thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Like you can't, you can't know everybody and you just, yeah, you just have to smile and say thank you. Even when you maybe don't want to, you just, Mm -hmm. you're overwhelmed. My house was full of things when we came home from the hospital and I was just like, I don't know what to do, but, um, it can just stay here. It can just stay here for a week. Exactly. This is getting to be a very long episode, but it's all important. No, we're good. Let's talk about your nonprofit and your walk. Okay. So So as we're recording this, it is May 15th. All right. So while we were in the NICU, there is this large organization that used to have a representative at the St. Cloud Hospital NICU. And while we were there, I had learned that the representative left and they no longer had this large organization funding those little programs within the NICU. Um, Some of those programs included 
photos of the babies. Um, like at Christmas time, Henry had Santa photos. They did the 12 days of Christmas, like those little things. And so what the NICU did is they kind of created their own little fund. They created a cooking book and then they also did a bake sale to kind of replenish this fund from this large organization that no longer was there. And I was so thankful for this that I, one day it was like a Tuesday, I think. And I, I don't know which nurse I was talking to, but I'm like, how can I give back? Like I need to give back because I'm so thankful for all the support I have. And after talking to all these families, I'm so unique in the fact that I have all this support and they have nothing. Like they had to go back to work two weeks after their NICU baby because they couldn't afford their bills or um, they could only drive once a week because they couldn't afford gas or daycare, you know, for their other kids. Like they had to find people to watch their kids. So what I did was I thought about this for a long time. And part of it was my healing process while I was on my maternity leave. But a group of girls and I, I was talking to them about my plan and they're like, well, I'd love to help. And it happens to be um, a group of sisters and sister-in-laws. So Rachel Berg, Rachel Cheetah, Vicki Berg, and Danielle Atkinson, they're all friends of mine. And they stepped in and said, we want to help you. So the idea came, the nonprofit that I created, it's a 501c3 nonprofit. So I went through all the paperwork to get it official. And we are doing a 2.5 mile walk on June 3rd at nine in the morning in St. Martin, Minnesota, which is another small town close to between Richmond, Painesville, and Albany. And with that walk, we are raising money for NICU families that all the money is going to stay local. So um, we are doing this walk to raise money for local NICU families. And what had started out as something small, like everyone kept asking me, they're like, what's your goal? Like, how much money do you want to raise? Or how many people are you expecting? I was like, I don't know. Like, 100 200 well the last time i looked there are over 550 people registered for the walk 160 of those being children and then as we do this walk we have NICU posters so people could purchase a $10 poster with a then and now picture of a NICU baby and I was expecting like 20 of them I think there's close to 70 of them so as we walk you'll be able to pray for remember heal from the process um, as you're walking for all these NICU babies so it's a family fun event the registration for the t-shirts did close, but if you are wanting to come on June 3rd to help raise money for the NICU, please do so. It'll be lots of kids activities because that's just kind of what we're about, um, especially with having all of those kids. And then they're going to do, it's the first annual Henry's Cape Crawl. So the kids are all going to get a purple cape and they're going to do a little run down and back from the church. And yeah, it's just, it's part of my healing and I don't want Henry to ever feel sorry for what happened to him. I want him to always be brave. I want to know. I want him to know how strong he is always. And he's not going to remember these days, but he's going to remember the impact that his story made on everybody. Um, not just on his mom, who is telling the story for him. One day, I hope he can tell the story of how he overcame life because um, he's seven months old now. And as far as we know, there's no deficits, but um, he's a NICU baby. So there's things that may come later on in life. Like he's not sitting up by himself yet, but he will. He's really seven months old, but four months is what he should be. So I'm um, just reminding people of that. And he's a happy little boy. He's healthy right now. He did have RSV, but um, he overcame that, which is just shows how strong he is and how resilient he can be. So are there a lot of parents that you met at the NICU coming, um, like from when you were there? Are there people traveling? Like, where are people coming from? Yes. So I had lots of personal emails. Um, we have a personal email account for Henry's Heroes and 
people would send in emails like, I had a NICU baby at like 27 weeks. I'm so happy you're doing this. And then they'd tell me their story. And it was just like, I had a pen pal. I could tell my story back to them, even though they were able to watch it. Um, Our friend of ours, Kyle Berg, he's a videographer and he recorded a video to kind of share on social media about the walk and the nonprofit. So I know that reached a ton of people and helped um, gain interest. And then we also have a Facebook page and an Instagram to just kind of get the information out there because I started this nonprofit, not just for a one and done kind of thing. We have big plans for the nonprofit. Um, At the end, we're super excited to announce the amount of money that we've raised. I can't announce it yet, but it's a very generous amount. And then we will be deciding as the board of directors will be deciding how and what we're going to do for local NICU families. The money raised is going directly to the families. It's not going to any of the large facilities that these babies are at. Just because the babies are being taken care of, it's the families that need help, that need support. And even if it is, I don't know, a $500 gas gift card, that might get them to the NICU for a month, depending on where they live. If it's a grocery gift card, like again, that can get them to the NICU. A lot of NICU babies go home on special formula. It's expensive. Like if they save it for that, great. I also just have big plans as a NICU parent. I want to write a book one day. I want to write a book and share my story and help other moms navigate this journey. When I was going through the NICU, there aren't a lot of books like that. So maybe in five years when life slows down, I can start writing my book. But yeah, just as a mom um, going through the NICU journey, our family is complete. I don't know what it's like to have a NICU baby and then try for another baby, but I do know what it's like to have a loss and then get pregnant again and go through a difficult journey. Everyone's story is different and it just, it became my life. And I don't share my story to brag about what happened or to, you know, undermine anyone else's story, but I do it. It's part of my healing process. It's part of sharing my faith and it's just, I'm, I'm helping other moms know that it's okay to be sad and it's okay to, you know, go to your church and find a church pew. If you don't know what to do, go there. They're going to help you. Someone's going to help you. And it's just realizing that you're never alone, even though you feel very alone throughout it. And the nurses, they got me through it. They spent so much time drying my tears. I think their scrubs were like stained with my mascara because I didn't know how I was going to get through it. And they were in my room and that's just, they became, they became my therapist. I did see a therapist as well in the NICU, but the nurses, I could relate way more to them because I'm a nurse. So I could like, it was like going to work, but I was going to work to keep my baby alive. And yes, they don't, they are more than just a NICU nurse. They are a therapist. They are a chaplain at Christmas time. Like they continuously asked about my other kids, like they're everything without them. We wouldn't be where we are for sure. Without the jams of the world. And Jan, you better be listening. (laughs) We'll send her this one. Yeah, I think, you know, it's just, like I said, it, you don't know who you relate to or especially after going through what I went through, I just, I have way more of an empathy knowing what those emotions are like and, you know, and, and I still say like, I can't imagine and there, cause, cause no two grief journeys, no, none of that is the same, but I know what it feels like to feel hopeless. I know what it feels like to, you know, just everything. Um, and so I think, you know, if you listen to this episode and you know, the next time you hear like, Oh, well, you know, he was born at 33 weeks and he was in the NICU. Like, I think we all just kind of like, Oh, okay. Like just pass it along and say, Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. You're, you went through some tough shit. Okay. Like two months of your life was going back and forth to the hospital every single day. Like to, to leave without your baby, like you said. And 
the days of not knowing if he would survive and just how complicated that is and how helpless that is. So I think in the episode notes, we're going to put a link to the Facebook page, Instagram page, how you can donate. So can you still donate up until like the day of? Yes. So we have Square. We need to get a website that's on the to-do list, but it's tricky. Nonprofits are tricky. Yep. There's so much. Yep. Yep. So what's your goal with the nonprofit, your role and your, Mm. I mean like... Yes. So my role in the nonprofit, I had this vision and these four ladies helped my vision become something because without them, I would not be where I am. I didn't know what Canva was. I didn't know what Google Docs was. And now I can say I actually know how to get into them and I can design stuff on them, but they all have their own little knack and they are honestly, I wouldn't, we wouldn't have this nonprofit without them. They've taken time away from their families. We've had meetings. They're super proud of just everything that we've done so far. And then with the nonprofit, we're hoping to do more fundraising um, down the road, but this is our first event, which is the walk. So once we get through the walk, we're hoping to make it something continuous where you can continuously donate. And then throughout the year, we're hoping to eventually get to the point of families being able to be nominated instead of just us donating to families um, at the either at the St. Cloud Hospital if that's where their baby is at or if they're down at Children's but it'll stay till central it'll stay to central Minnesota NICU families cuz there is a need here it's crazy how many people do travel this far but there's a lot of central Minnesota families there's a family in St. Martin they had twin girls that spent time down at Children's for over 100 days both of them And that's a long time. I was off of work for six months and life doesn't stop. I know Liz knows that. The bills don't stop. Daycare doesn't stop. School doesn't stop. And you just have to figure it out. And one day you just, it clicks and you finally have the energy to start taking care of those things. The bills always were just something that I just didn't want to think about. I didn't want to have to figure out how much money we owed, but it was something I had to do. And I'm still trying to figure figure it out. It's like my free time. I don't want to sit there and call an insurance company. I got a thousand things. I got a cut flower garden that I Liz has inspired me to do because flowers bring me so much joy. You got to have those flowers on your table. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. I Josh died December 9th. And then like New Year's Eve, I lied to everyone because they were like, what are you doing on New Year's Eve? What are you doing on New Year's Eve? Like nobody wanted me to like be alone, but I actually was ready to just be alone because I hadn't had a moment alone and so Vidalia and I were like it was this weird thing that we always watched this like DVR of Garth Brooks playing at Notre Dame Stadium like we would do that on like Sunday afternoons in like the winter time and we called it happy hour and like Josh and I would split a bad habit beer and Vi would like I don't know have some juice and we'd watch Garth Brooks like that was our happy hour and so I was like you know what me and Vi are gonna do that and I was like ready for like maybe a moment of I wouldn't say happiness, but like normalcy. And I was like looking forward to that. And I was like, I'll just put her to bed and like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And I go to turn on my TV and my dish was disconnected because we didn't pay the bill. I was like, oh, and so I tried calling and it was gone and everything that was on the DVR was gone. And I tried calling. They're like, well, you didn't pay your bill. I'm like, well, that's because my husband died. And they're like, well, we will reinstate it. And I'm like, well, can I get my DVR back? And they're like, nope, nope, it's gone. I'm like, well, then I don't want it because I don't watch sports and my husband's dead. So we don't need sports. And they were like, oh, okay. <laughs> like it was, 
it's very here's your free six months yeah exactly and so and, and we haven't had it since like we have no tv but you're not um, missing out yeah so i forgot to pay that bill and then i think it was like the waste management bill and my property tax <laughs> yeah well yeah there like, are a lot of bills that didn't get paid i thought i had them all I don't know. I did not. Um, Thankfully, Chris yeah. took care of that. That's like his thing. I always joke like, I don't even know when I get paid. Because mm-hmm. yeah. I just don't. It's not that I don't care. He just does all that. And I'm outside with the kids in the garden. I have a huge vegetable garden. I'm going to start dabbling in the cut flowers because Liz's book is super inspiring. And I'm going to do it. I tried doing it last summer and I was just pregnant. And I had such bad back pain that I'm like, nope, this is what I need to do because... Yes, it's time. So I'm excited. Well, good. And you find those things that bring you joy and help you bloom and grow. (laughs) There we go. Good way to end the episode. Yes. Thank you for listening, everyone. Yes. Thank you again, Liz. This was so much fun. Thanks for listening to the Sunny Mary Meadow podcast. I'm your host, Liz. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and rate us. You can find us on Instagram, Pinterest, and Facebook at Sunny Mary Meadow. Subscribe to our email newsletter at sunnymarymeadow.com. And if you have questions or comments or anything to say, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at podcast at sunnymarymeadow.com. Flowers, flowers, we love flowers. Sunny Mary Meadow, they smell so good. Sunnymarymeadow.com.